Welcome to Sound Off Queen, a podcast about life, love, and empowerment. We're your hosts, Jamie, Jenny, and Courtney. Are you ready, Queens? Let's do this. Listen in. Period. Let's sound Hey, y'all. How are you doing? Hey, Courtney. Hi. How's everybody doing? I'm good. How are you all? We're doing good. You know, it's cold and -hmm. continues to be cold, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is pretty cold outside, but we've got a hot episode today, so that'll help warm you up. Um, but before we get started with our topic, we want to give you your motivational moment from our girl, Jamie. So I'm going to pass it to Jamie. Hello, everyone. Here's Jamie with a moment, and I hope it does motivate you. I was just thinking about my transition in 2022 and trying to stay healthy. So I started doing some research or revisiting some old habits that work for me. Mm-hmm. And Queens, are you aware that on average, walking 10,000 steps, which we've all heard before, right? Mm-hmm. That walking to 10,000 steps per day burns 3,500 calories a week. Mm. Wow. I mean, I'm sorry, a day. I'm sorry, a day, which equates to one pound a week. Wow. That's see, good fact, right? Uh-huh. So that is a motivation that, you know, we're not just walking just to get one place to another, but have a purpose, right? Yeah. That, that sounds good. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> you know, so I want <laughs> so I want my queens to remember to keep those feet a walking. <laughs> and that's Jamie's <laughs> moment. Oh, thank you, Jamie. For the the walking tip, but you know, now that it's cold outside, I don't know if I really want to walk. You know, now that it's well, cold outside, this is the time that you want to cuddle and get warm, mm-hmm. and you know, oh, another way to burn calories, huh? Yes, another way to burn calories. It is. That is true. That is true. I should have. Mo- I should have said that, right? How many calories does it you burn? Um, Oh, I'll leave it there. <laughs> so, go ahead and introduce our special speaker today. Yes, yeah. as you I guys guess. can see, we are taking it there. Where is there, you say? Well, we do have a special guest with us today. Her name is Maisha Battle, and Maisha is a certified sex and dating coach, writer, and mm-hmm. educator. Through coaching and her sex-positive podcasts, Down for Whatever and Dating White, Maisha provides accurate sexual information, instills pride in difference, and encourages the quest for sexual satisfaction, no matter race, gender, orientation, ability, or age. Her motto is better sex, better life. Mm, I like that. Wow. Yes. (laughs) So, ladies... Mm. Introducing <laughs> Miss Maisha Battle. Hey. Hi, hi, hi Maisha. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get into it. Thank you so much Uh-oh. for coming. Yes. So- we, like we said, it's going to be a spicy episode, but before we get started with some of our deep, juicy questions, this is a question we like to ask all of our guests, and that is, what is one piece of advice that you would provide to a younger queen? Mm, it's a great question. I definitely will say for myself, if I could go back in time, 
mm-hmm. tell my young queen self any piece of advice, it would be to trust myself more mm-hmm. and to rely on what other people think less. And that's something I'm definitely still working on. I think we're all probably working on it, but, you know, um, compare and despair mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. live in what your truth is more. Mm-hmm. I think that's good advice to anybody. I love that compare and despair. So stop comparing because you're going <laughs> to be in despair. I'm, I'm going to write that one down. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I think that that is, um, a good piece of advice, because even as we get to certain levels, like, you know, you leave your teenage years, you go into your twenties, you go into your thirties, you're always ever evolving. And I think that's nothing that will ever stop. You're always going to have to work on self and focus on the things that you can do better and not worry so much about what other outside influences has on you, because you can't live for people. You got to live for yourself. That's I like true. that. I was, I was going to ask Maisha. So you said, when we say younger self, when, mm-hmm. what age would you say that you kind of found, if I may say the word, your, your sexuality or where you knew what you wanted and didn't want sexually? Hmm. <laughs> Still learning. Um, <laughs> okay. I, think, I think it's an ongoing journey. And I think, you know, Jenny's right. We, we, grow and change. And we're always in this process of Michelle Obama becoming. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm. you know, I like to think of sexual development as kind of happening in seasons. We all have Mm. sexual seasons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we were to think about, you know, our teenage years where it's just completely hormonally driven, I feel Mm. like that's like very spring energy, you know? And then we might get into some more like comfortable, confident. I think of my thirties, I was like, Mm. you know, getting into like who I was, what I wanted, the people Mm. that I wanted to engage with. I I was more clear. I wasn't like all over the place Mm -hmm. and I'm about to turn 40 this year. So I don't know what my next season is going to be some fall (laughs) energy, which I think is like, you know, it's, it's slowing down, but it's also going deeper, mm-hmm. you know, getting ready for that hibernation period or whatever, where, you know, there's maybe a lot less activity, but more growth mm-hmm. in what you're doing more intention. So right. that's kind of how I see it. And, and I also try to encourage my clients to think of their sexual evolution in terms of that too. It's like, we're not going to be who we were 10 years ago. And we're probably not going to be who this person is 10 years from now. So what can we do to make it better? Not the best, not perfect, but better. Absolutely. So let me ask, let me ask you a question, Maisha. Yes. What make, what made you decide this profession? (laughs) Yeah, it was actually working with a coach who, um, she was doing some organizational coaching at the nonprofit that I was working with at, uh, in, in New York. And, um, you know, I've kind of had this windy path career wise, but around, you know, my Saturn return, (laughs) so 28, (laughs) 29, I was really lost. I was like, you know, I could stay in this job and become like C-suite of a nonprofit, you know, Mm -hmm. that's definitely possible for me, but is that really, what I'm meant to do? Like, is that all kind of, that was a big question that was like looming over my head. And, 
Um, she really worked with me on kind of going back to the person that I was when I was a teenager Mm. and like what that person wanted from life and what she was good at, what really energized her. And I remember that I was a peer counselor when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. And basically what that meant was, even though we got training to like talk to people about like, oh, if you're having problems with your friends or like you're mad at your parents or whatever, nobody wanted to talk to me about that. They wanted to talk to me about this boy wants to kiss me. This boy (laughs) wants to finger me. What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, I don't know. I'm 12, you know? Right. (laughs) Oh, wow. And this was like, it was just something that I knew people were hungry for answers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my job is still that. I mean, it's some of the same questions I was getting back then. Right. The people are 10, 20 years older. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, this is a pervasive issue and is something where I've always, for whatever reason, you know, I was put on this earth to answer these questions. (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I just started getting really curious because I also am somebody who doesn't like when information is restricted. Mm. And when we talk about sex, most people have an experience of growing up where their access to information about their bodies, their sexuality was very restricted in whatever way. I mean, we can talk about that, but I just was like, no, like if we're learning about all these other things and we're being told that we're, you know, developing into these adult people who are eventually going to have sex, like, why aren't we learning about this? So I just kind of started digging and learning and that has manifested in, you know, learning through health education training for undergrad, Mm -hmm. and then going on to get my master's in psychology, where I kind of focus more on feminist psychology. Mm -hmm. And then I went into my sex coaching training program, which really got me into, you know, those missing pieces, what do people not know, Mm -hmm. and then how to get people to understand those things, and then practically apply them in their lives. Wow. That's amazing. I will say that on the journey of research to finding um, a sex therapist or dating coach, it was <laughs> rather difficult to find um, a sex coach or a sex therapist that looks like us. So, you. Um, you know, I appreciate you um, even, even considering this field and, you know, being here and serving a community of people who have questions mm-hmm. and, you know, they'll feel more comfortable being able to relate and have those conversations with you. So it's exciting and refreshing to see someone who looks like us to answer our questions. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. that. You're going to, you're going to make me cry uh, oh, early on, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm working on a book and I, I keep thinking, you know, wow, if I had had a book about sex and dating, that was, you know, written by someone who looked like me or had a name, like, I'm sorry. It's okay. okay. It's okay. Yeah, it, it, it would have changed. Mm-hmm. It would have changed a lot for me. So oh, wow. absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. We appreciate that. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. And we are so happy that you are here with us today. Getting a tissue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you brought up a good point, which is that 
we all kind of go through some sort of restriction or we've we've potentially come from a place where the talk of sex may not necessarily have been as open of a conversation that Mm -hmm. we would have liked for it to be. Based on that question, you know, just kind of where we are generationally and where things are headed with society, do you feel that we're going through a sexual revolution? In some ways, yes, I do. I have some hope that the research that has come forward in the last 30 to 40 years and continues to happen um, around female sexuality, specifically female arousal and pleasure, that has been game changing. I mean, when I talk about research, I mean, we didn't really even have a model for the entire structure of the clitoris until the 1990s. What? Oh, wow. So not only was this not of any interest to researchers, if it was of interest, there were probably, you know, there was probably a lot of obstacles and hurdles to getting funded for mm-hmm. researching anything that had to do with female pleasure. It it runs very against what we thought of sex for a long time, which was that men typically had all of this sexual energy that needed to be released. Mm-hmm. And that women were kind of the vessels mm-hmm. for that, but that mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily an enjoyable experience. Hmm. Honestly, if you think of sex like that, sex isn't going to be an enjoyable experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, really, we were kind of reinforcing that idea and people were having a lot of terrible sex. They were having good sex too. But I think, you know, for the most part, this research has opened up a whole lot for people to begin to understand female sexuality, Mm -hmm. to prioritize it, to step into it. And then I also think with uh, female founded companies that are in the sexual wellness space, Mm-hmm. Just think about it. I mean, how many of you have an app on your phone, which tracks your cycle, right? You know, we didn't yeah. have any access to that before. So that's great for just general knowledge and information about how your body works. Mm-hmm. It's great for family planning. It's great for communicating with your partner. Sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, what's going on with you and your body, you have something mm-hmm. you can actually show them when it's not easy to talk about these things. So you know, there's that. And there's also just the the pleasure industry, which has begun developing mm-hmm. more toys, more lubes, more things with female bodies in mind. Right. So think about like the fact that a lot of toys were, you know, for us inserted, but what were these materials that people were using made right, of? Right. Were they body safe? You know, no one really cared to be honest. Yeah. So now yeah. we have this shift towards well, what feels good? What kinds of things do women actually want when it comes to stimulation? Mm. How do we reproduce that? And the fact that women are in the driver's seat behind these companies and putting the research and dollars behind making things that are for us, for our bodies, mm. um, it, it has changed the game tremendously. So wow. women are no longer an afterthought in the world. <laughs> That's right. It, it doesn't mean that we're still getting funded at the same rate as right. like erectile dysfunction medication <laughs> and yeah. you know anything that has to do with you know centering a penis like 
those things are easier to get funding for. Right. So, you know, we're still in that struggle zone, but I do see it heading in the right direction. That's great. I mean, what you said kind of reminds me of um, when you hear about how women, we're still paying taxes on our feminine products, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which is beyond me at this point, or things that are for the female body are not covered under health insurance a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, something like erectile dysfunction can be covered by your health insurance when and nobody cares but you know say you have an irregular cycle and you got to go see a specialist out your own pocket so that kind of stuff is crazy so hopefully the path that we're heading down can help us get to some level of equality and just you know being able to handle ourselves and manage ourselves without (laughs) overspending and all those other good things you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the overspending part for sure, you know, because mm-hmm. I think with these advances um, in quality goes an uptick in price. So, Absolutely. you know, there's still a lot of stuff that's not, you know, in everybody's price range. Mm-hmm. So the more people that do it, though, that helps to, you know, decrease the cost because it's not like it's like a specialty item. It's like, right. no, it's just mm-hmm. how we do things now. We use body right. safe materials. We, we, don't add anything that's going to cause inflammation to the product. Mm-hmm. You know, lubes are infamous for causing inflammation and, and things like that oh, for, wow. for female bodies. So yeah, um, the more products are out there, then that can definitely help make things more accessible. Wow. This is so, so... If you're out there listening and you have a product <laughs> in mind, like, yes, probably just go do it, you know, right. <laughs> make a prototype. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, you know, I didn't really think of how impactful and how deep this actually goes because it's far more than just surface level. You know what I mean? Like it has so much more to do with like knowledge and funding and just being aware and giving information to in order for us to get further along than where we are. So thank you for bringing insight into that. Now you hear people, I guess, maybe talking about having um, a great sex life or basically having the best sex life. Is there such a thing as a healthy sex life or is it for all for show? Mm, Yeah. I mean, this goes back to that compare and despair, right? We live in a culture where it's so easy to access other people's quote unquote best lives Mm -hmm. and compare what we have to that, you know, and it doesn't help that like the people who we consider to have best lives, oh, they all seem to have a very similar body type. They all Mm -hmm. seem to have a very similar texture of hair. They all seem to have a similar skin tone, you know? So a lot of these things feel unattainable for a lot of us. And that means that even if we're having sex that feels great to us, we might be like, oh, but it's not, I'm not that. So it can't be that I'm having good sex. sex or that right. My sex life is really stacking mm-hmm. up. And I see this time and time and time and time again with my clients, you know, even with depictions of pornography, you know, people compare themselves to what's happening on screen Mm-hmm. and say, well, if I don't do that, if I can't bend my leg back like that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then this isn't the best sex of my life or it's right. not going to be the best sex of my partner's life or whatever. So, you know, I just give up. 
Like it's, it's, it's a very despairing type of, of mentality that a lot of people come to me with. And I have to say like, well, you know, this is a very general sexology comparison, but comparing yourself to what's happening in pornography is like being a regular driver, comparing yourself to NASCAR, you know, Mm. these people, they train, (laughs) they practice, they do a lot of work behind the scenes to make that scene. What you're seeing in that you know, 30 second to minute long clip probably took them half a day to shoot. Wow. They don't get it right. The first time these people are not superhuman. They have certain (laughs) abilities as sex workers, then sex performers Hmm. that maybe we don't have because that's their job, but that's like an Olympic trainer has abilities (laughs) that we don't have because (laughs) they train to long jump, you know, to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these, these types of comparisons are really detrimental to our own experience of fun because we could be having fun, but that FOMO is so Mm -hmm. strong Mm -hmm. that we're not good enough that what we're doing isn't Mm -hmm. the best. So to answer your question, it's, it's a little bit of yes. And like, I think there's a lot of posturing about like, Oh, I'm having the best sex of my life or whatever, which may be true for them. Or it might be that they want people to think that, right. You know, and you know, who knows, you really wouldn't know unless you talk to that person directly. But, you know, for most of my clients, I really try to get them to a place where they feel like, you know, they're having the best sex for them, for their bodies, for what they're capable of. And that looks and feels very different from person to person. Right. That makes sense. So the fact that we talked about pornography and the influences of pornography And then I'm thinking, like we talked about the younger selves or maybe someone who's inexperienced with sex. How can a woman become more confident in the bedroom? I think it's a great question. And because the majority of my clients are female identified, this comes up time and time again. I work with uh, a lot of people who are very driven in other aspects of their lives, like very accomplished, very confident, you know, in the Mm -hmm. meeting, they know how to take charge in, you know, their family, they're the person (laughs) who is like caregiving and sending money over here to this person and doing all of this. And Mm -hmm. then when it comes to sex, they're like, I'm shy. (laughs) 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 And and the pressure, you know, unfortunately to be the boss in all areas of your life is very high. Right. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it can feel like such a part of my language, but like a, what the fuck moment where they're like, it doesn't make sense. Why is this something that I have so little confidence around? So what I try to work with them on is, is filling in some of those gaps. So a big part of not feeling confident is not knowing what you like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't know what we like because we were never encouraged to explore. Mm-hmm. We were never told this is okay. Like pleasure is part of being a human. Take sex right. out of it, but we are very pleasure seeking creatures. We want to feel good. We touch things that are soft or bumpy and we're like, Oh, you know, we're just very like curious creatures, but then life beats that out of us. (laughs) And then when it comes to sex, we're also, we have no model. So we're just like, well, if, you know, if I'm like this, then, then it should feel good. I should feel confident if I'm Mm -hmm. doing all the right things, quote unquote. But I think it's more about what do you, what, you know, at the end of the day, what do you want and what does your body like? And every person is 
pretty different when it comes to the way they like to be touched, where they like to be touched, Mm -hmm. how firmly, how softly, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we've all, even with the experience of like general hugging or, or, you know, touching or tickling, like people have very visceral responses to like, oh, that's weird. I like when that person hugs me. I really don't like it when that person hugs me. Weird hugs, you know? But giving that feedback and trying to talk through these things is also very hard. So mm-hmm. it's very common for specifically like women to hear the question, well, what do you want? And to not know mm-hmm. how to answer that question. Right. Wow. And so it starts at home, a lot of this work. And mm-hmm. it starts with figuring out a lot. I mean, a lot of women have not looked at their vulvas in any detail <laughs> ever. Right. And it can be very moving and emotional for them to do so for the first time because it can feel really scary to do it. So much, so many of us have a lot of shame attached to that very mm-hmm. act. Don't look at yourself, don't touch yourself. Right. So to do it is almost like this act of rebellion and it can stir up a lot of things for a lot of people. If you haven't done it and you can muster up the skill, the the time and energy to do it, it's a, it's a good skill to have to just look and check and see. And then explore. You know, I also encourage my clients to uh, employ what I call a masturbation practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like a meditation practice. It's something to connect to self. It's a way to connect to self-pleasure. I think of it as an act of self-care as well, Hmm. because you're managing your own sexual energy. You're not really like looking outside yourself for that to be satisfied by anyone. And I think that's really powerful. So those things combine, like knowing yourself, knowing what you like, utilizing what you have, which is your own body, mm-hmm. and then building up the skill. I think sexual communication is a skill to tell someone else what you like and what you don't like. So if they're doing something that's not working for you, tell them, you know, right. and it, yeah. it's hard, but it's so worth it in the long run, because most of the time when people do that, they get what they want. <laughs> so right. right. <laughs> You know, the payoff is big. Yeah. Wow. You know, I think of so many things with that response. Like the very first thing that I'm thinking of is I know we shouldn't even be bringing children into this, but I have two little ones, two little boys. And at some point they will be going through puberty. And, you know, you as the parent have to prepare yourself for some of the things that your child will be changing and going through and exploring. Mm -hmm. And so I think back to even me when I was a a young girl growing up and the conversation around sex or your body or things of that nature never really happened. You know, it was kind of like you figure it out as you grow. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I'm thinking like how we become the adults that we are sexually is probably strongly based on experiences that we had as young people growing up, whether you were told, oh, don't touch yourself or what are you doing? Or, you know, kind of bringing like a shock to you maybe as you were trying to explore your body. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to finally understand completely that that has heavily impacted who we potentially are sexually today. So mm-hmm. absolutely. This is why when my clients start working with me, we do a, well, they, they do a sexual history and assessment that we talk about in session one. Mm-hmm. And that's when I get to learn a little bit about the context that 
my clients grew up in, what kind of messages they received as children growing up about their bodies, what was their relationship to their own bodies? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, we all go through periods of figuring out like, you know, do I like myself? Do I not like myself? (laughs) Where am I on the scale today? Um, And so just figuring out where they are and what kind of journey, you know, they may, may have gone on to get to the point where they're starting to work with me. And that part time and time again is when I connect with my clients at the very end, we have a closing call and I asked them what was the most challenging thing. They're like that damn history. I mean, I did not want to do that. I put it off to the last Mm -hmm. minute. I didn't want to address these things. And I didn't know that some of my earliest memories were, were tied to some of the behaviors that I've I've now, you know, unearthed as being problematic in my sex life. So Mm -hmm. yes, I mean, there's a whole movement of sex positive parenting where, you know, it's based on where your kid is and their understanding. And so it can start with just giving them the power to label their genitalia with the right words, Mm -hmm. you know, to call things by their names Mm -hmm. and to feel okay about Mm -hmm. having the genitalia that they have, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and as they grow and start asking questions, empowering yourself to get the answer. Well, I don't know that, but I'm going to look it up for you and then we'll learn it together. You know, that kind of thing where I think it's really helpful for, to model that, you know, we all need some extra learning Mm -hmm. around this because most of us did Mm -hmm. not get a good sexual education. You know, it's funny. You said that, um, but my daughter was young, I think about five. She went to the pediatrician. I think my husband took her as a matter of fact. And no, I I took her. And and the pediatrician said, has she started masturbating? And I was like, what? (laughs) And she said that, you know, just as the uh, other adult glands are coming, the sexual organs or the sensation, you've seen little boys pluck their wieners, you know, in a sense, I know, you know, Jenny, but they, I guess, think about it. If you, it's, if something touches it, warm water or something, you feel a sensation, right? So yeah. So understanding that part, like you said, the younger self and the older self and the seasons, all that was helpful. So when she said that made me more in tune and my mother always talked to me about your, your menstrual cycle and things of that sort. But as you get older and you start to experience yourself sexually and the old things that, you know, even if they said, you know, you always thought the missionary, is that the right? Yeah. Missionary position mm-hmm. in sex, but to Go get ahead. on top, to get on top was like, oh my God, am I being naughty? Am I dirty? <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not even going to some other things like oral sex. That's another whole oh, yeah. topic in the sense that you really felt dirty. Yeah. You know, only certain mm-hmm. cultures did that. Maybe our culture that looked like me didn't do that. That's That was a saying in my mm-hmm. time, my younger years. Right. I just want to share that. <laughs> definitely um that definitely correlates with like some of the messages that that my clients get you know mm-hmm. and yeah. you know they might be thinking oh no I got this covered you know it's fine and then mm-hmm. we start talking about it and they're like oh no <laughs> like that's why I have this negative association is because nobody right. talked to me you know yeah 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 we get really confused where there's not a lot of information you know yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. it feels unsafe and uncertain and there's just so much gray area and you know wow so Misha, that, that makes me wonder what do you think about the sex education that's taught in schools now is it um is it not enough for the students that are going through it should you think do you think it should change and be updated with the times? Yes. And unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. parents 
are kind of left to pick up the slack Mm -hmm. where our sex education system is failing us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some, there are some amazing people who have chosen to be sex educators who can't even teach the things that they were taught to teach kids <laughs> because they work in a certain school district that won't fund mm. that type of sex education. Right. So there's kind of um, this like different, there's different categorizations of sex education. There's abstinence only, mm-hmm. you know, there's like more preventative sex. So it's, you know, you're only talking about how not to get pregnant and how not mm-hmm. to get an STI. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there are very, very few places in this country, I would argue, that offer what's called comprehensive sexual education. Mm-hmm. And that would include now it's even more comprehensive than when I was learning about what comprehensive was. Because comprehensive before it was just like, let's just talk about like the fact that people have sex other than for procreative reasons and right. like right. how that's part of like a healthy adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, comprehensive sex education might include things like pleasure anatomy, learning about like where female genitalia and male genitalia tend to have the most sensitivity so that, you know, you can actually maximize pleasure. So for instance, that clitoris full structure that I mentioned to you, it's not just a button and you certainly don't want to just push it. Uh, There's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot to know there, right? right? But we don't educate people. And beyond that, we would include pornography literacy. So getting people to think critically about the things that they're watching, because we know mm-hmm. they're watching it, mm-hmm. but are they thinking that that's how sex really is? Or right. are they thinking of it in terms of this is, this is erotic entertainment and mm-hmm. I can enjoy erotic entertainment, but not expect that my sex life is going it's to be like that. Like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what pornography literacy really helps us to do. And then the final component that I think is really important that sometimes gets overstressed, but I think it's an important component to have in any sex education program is consent education. Right. So, that's a good one. You know, learning how to communicate consent and learning that if someone crosses a boundary, that it's not okay. Right. And that you you should expect and deserve to engage with people who will respect your boundaries. Right. Um, and then, you know, protocols for reporting when people don't, because exactly. people need to be empowered to let folks know what has happened to them. Mm-hmm. And I will say that having this culture of like, we don't talk about sex and therefore things like assault don't get talked about because right. the person feels so much shame and they don't know that it was so wrong because it's like, well, did I do, was it my fault? Right. Consent education, I think would help a lot of people understand the context in, in these relationships that kind of give way to assault and mm-hmm. when to recognize when a boundary has been crossed and to feel affirmed mm-hmm. that their boundary was crossed and that it's okay to tell someone. Makes sense. That's, that's really important. Yeah. Can I ask the question then, someone who might've been sexually assaulted, how much does, or have you, from your patients, how has that affected their sex life? Sometimes I heard it made people promiscuous and other people withdrawn. Can you share yeah. some light on that? Oh, that's very true. Yeah. I mean, I think the experience of sexual assault, again, is, is different from person to person. So it affects everybody differently. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there's kind of two modes of, you know, coping, I would say that can Mm. happen after a sexual assault. One is to kind of over sexualize to Mm -hmm. take control uh, of your sex life again, by engaging in a lot of sex with a lot of people like Mm -hmm. you won't do this to me ever again. So, Mm. you know, I'm in control. I'm the one making the moves. Right. Right. And then the other response might be 
to withdraw from sex. Some people often, well, I won't say often, but I have heard a lot of stories of people like putting on weight subconsciously to hide their themselves and their bodies after wow. a sexual assault experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's one physical manifestation of uh, what could, what that could look like in terms mm-hmm. of like just withdrawing completely from, from sex. But it could just be that the person opts out of any sexual relationship. And, you know, sometimes that looks like adopting a sexuality that is asexual, you know, mm-hmm. telling people, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just not interested in sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these two, these, these things can be all wrapped up in each other and expressed in different ways. Right. But, um, you know, in general, as a coach, I'm not someone who would work with someone who has just experienced a trauma and wants to process that, that requires working with a, a licensed therapist who can help that person sort of unwrap their triggers, understand mm-hmm. more, and to learn how to communicate their triggers with partners. So I've worked with a lot of survivors who have done that work. And then we kind of go more into the practical realm of like, okay, well now let's, let's rebuild the pieces. Like, what do you like? How do we explore? Like what's you and, you know, how to create a safe space for you to explore instead Mm -hmm. of having every sexual experience be either like railing against the trauma or Mm -hmm. completely avoiding sexual intimacy. Wow. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I hope that that helps some of our Queens if, if they may or may have not had such an experience. Yeah. Thanks for that, Jamie. Yeah. So Maisha, there seems to be one partner who has the high sex drive and the other, not so much. (laughs) So what are some tips to neutralize the playing field? Mm, Yes. Well, it's basically the more in-depth tips that I give are around kind of dismantling the expectations that we have around sex and partnership completely. The first expectation that I think is really, really strong is that if you're in a relationship, the other person is responsible for fulfilling your every sexual need. Mm. False, false. (laughs) You know, that's Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. on top of every other thing that the person is responsible for, you know, in the relationship. And so, you know, I mentioned before, masturbation is a great tool for energy management, sexual energy management. That's something that we give to ourselves. And it makes sexual negotiation a lot, I think, easier when Mm. you understand that, like, sometimes you will have the availability of a partner, sometimes you will not. Mm. And that's when you're single, that's when you're dating, that's when you're married, you know. So (laughs) having a practice of masturbation that's really strong can help you to go, Okay. Yeah. You're tired. You're stressed. Okay. I get it. Uh, I'm going to take five minutes in the bedroom. You hang out out here. I'll be right back. (laughs) You know? Um, So that's one, I think, tool. And and it's really hard. I'm not going to say that it's easy. That's why I'm saying it's more in depth because there's so much that people have wrapped up in like thinking about sex within partnerships. So Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't want to have sex with me, they don't love me. If someone isn't available for me every time that I want, then we're not a good match. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't like the things that I like, then it's, it's just, it's over. Like, how could I be with someone like that? Right. Right. And there's a lot more negotiation that goes into it. You know, I like to break things down in terms of food sometimes because Mm. I love food, but also (laughs) it's helpful. You know, we negotiate 
so much in partnership and sex is one of those things that's just really hard to. So mm-hmm. I'm often like, all right, so if you're, you go to your partner and you're like, babe, I'm, I'm going to order a pizza tonight. Is that mm-hmm. cool? And they're like, no, I don't want pizza. I really need to finish these leftovers from a couple of days ago. Like <laughs> let's, let's do that. And you're like, okay, cool. But you still have that craving for pizza a couple mm-hmm. days later. Cause you know, mm-hmm. if you don't get the pizza, you're going to eat. Yeah. Right. It, it just grows. Right. There's yes. something about mm-hmm. it. Uh, for me, it's pepperoni. So I'm just like, I need my pepperoni fix. So a couple mm-hmm. days later, you're like, babe, uh, I'm ready to order that pepperoni pizza. <laughs> Are you with me? Like, I need somebody to go in on with this with me. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, you know, I'm uh, I'm not eating meat, meat this week. So mm-hmm. it's not that you give up. It's not that you think that person doesn't want pizza ever again in their life. You know, mm-hmm. oh my God, they never want to eat pizza with me. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, there's context there. They right. gave a reason they're explaining mm-hmm. why it is they don't want pizza and I have to respect that because I right, can't right. force feed a person pizza if right they don't want it. and I think thinking about sex in those terms would be really helpful for a lot of people where it's like mm. just because I have this want and this need and this desire and I'm motivated right here and right now doesn't mean I can expect you to be on the same page every single time right the other thing that I think is really powerful is scheduling sex. And I know that's not necessarily a popular idea, (laughs) right? (laughs) but hear me out. You know, a lot of people long for those days in the beginnings of relationships where they're like, you know, we were just having sex all the time. It was Mm -hmm. easy. It was great. Mm -hmm. What we forget. Oh, that's the other thing they say. It's organic. It just happened naturally. Mm -hmm. I'm going to push back on that. Because what had to happen? You had to plan a date. Mm-hmm. You both had to show up to that date. Right. You both had to be looking relatively good on that date, you right. know, <laughs> taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. ready and being willing to, you know, put your best self forward. And not to say that you have to do that all the time when you're scheduling sex, but I do think it helps to create a similar context where it's something that you get to look forward to. You're setting an intention for this is our time to connect. And you're also giving yourself the opportunity to like, look forward to it, maybe send a few sexy flirty texts back and forth, Mm -hmm. get ready for that date, plant a seed of what you want to do on that date to them, with them, for them. And that energy that we thought was so natural at the beginning, we start to realize, no, we had we were working for it, but it didn't feel like work. Right. We wanted to do that. We were excited to see each other again. We wanted to connect in this way and we made the time for it by scheduling a date. So I hope I changed some hearts and minds about (laughs) scheduling sex. Right. And specifically sex. You know, I think date nights are great for connection, but I do think there's something different. A lot of people say, well, we do date nights, but we never have sex after. Mm. And so one thing to think about is like, okay, maybe a steak dinner isn't the best thing to do right before you plan to have sex. Right. Tired. Heavy. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, you pass out, <laughs> you pass out, but keep you it know. light. Think like, you know, appetizers, some things that you can like tease each other with food wise, then have your dinner after. That's true. Mm. Then after you eat that heavy dinner, you both can pass out. Then you can just pass out and, you know, it's like, check, check. Had the good meal, (laughs) had the good sex. Good night. Yeah, I like that. I have one more. I have a a small quote, another question. Do you think chemically, do you think men and women are or their sex drives is it a chemical factor that men seem to be more sexual and younger or is it something 
is that more environmental that or you know is it is honestly is it chemically is it our, is it a male hormone versus a female hormone how can we explain that yeah there's um I have seen mismatched libido, which is what we call it in the industry. Um, Mismatched libido in couples of all orientations, all genders. And I have seen, you know, in straight couples, I've seen it. The woman has the higher sex drive and I've seen the higher sex drive. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I think we can chalk up to individual difference, but just over time, I think, because we've always given men more permission to be sexual, Mm -hmm. we see it more overtly from them. Women, we have very conflicting messages about being sexual. If you're too sexual, you're a hoe, but you know, that's fine. To a certain extent, but then if you want to keep a man, you need to be chased. You better be a freak. You need to be a lady, lady (laughs) in the streets, freak in the sheets. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) But you know, we're not supposed to advertise that, right? Right. Right. But hence Mm -hmm. the lady in the streets. Mm -hmm. You know, we're supposed Mm -hmm. to act like we aren't interested. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So, you know. Again, individual difference, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it goes across the gender spectrum. What I have seen in terms of like how desire is expressed, that feels more gendered to me. And I would say that mm. might be a nature nurture thing, but another thing that might be at play is chemical. So it's, you know, the answer to your question is like, it's a little from columns A, B, C, D, E. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. It's like, okay. it's cultural. It's, um, you know, how we were raised and socialized. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between the hormone cycles in men and women. Women, mm-hmm. we have a 28 estimate, you know, around about their day cycle mm-hmm. where there are spikes of Mm -hmm. testosterone spikes of estrogen that give us a little more access to sexual interest. And, you know, a lot of women might notice this maybe a few days before their period, maybe up to a week before their period, maybe a little bit after two, some during their cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, again, individual difference, it's really worth noting though, when that shows up for you, I think that can be really helpful to track, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in a partnership with mismatched libido, then, you know, some of my female clients are like, we have a lot of sex this one week and then we're good. (laughs) You know, that's sex week. Okay. You get one week. (laughs) And then that for them, that might really work for maintaining their relationship. Men have a 24 hour cycle. I don't know if you know this. No. They have a spike of testosterone in the morning, morning. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it just declines throughout the day and replenishes overnight. And then they have that spike of testosterone in the morning. So if you have a male partner who's really interested in morning sex, that's why. Explain so much. Oh my gosh. And then at nighttime where, you know, we might be winding down and feeling like, okay, you know, I have had my little after work glass of wine and I'm unwinding and the kids are like, you know, doing their own thing. You might have more interest at night and your partner might be like, I am so tired and depleted, Mm. you know, they might not have the energy or interest for it. And I think that these things, we tend to see these patterns show up a little bit more as relationships go on longer, you know, Mm. Because at the beginning of relationships, as I mentioned, we have that just a little bit more energy for, you know, naturally kind of like figuring out when we can have sex with the other person. Right, right. (laughs) You know, 
And then we, you know, kind of fall back into our natural rhythms, which don't tend to match up with each other all that much. So yeah, that's a big difference, I think, between male-bodied folks and female-bodied folks. But I also think it has a lot to do with like our own personal context and how we feel about ourselves and Mm -hmm. how sexual we really want to be with the person we're with. You know, there's like a lot that goes in there. When you're fighting with your boo, like the doors might be closed. Right, (laughs) right. until you figure that shit out and then right right okay I I use this example I'll I've shared this with some friends of mine I say I'm like a flower so if you water me I bloom and blossom and I'm open (laughs) but (laughs) but if you're not watering me and fulfilling me then I am drying up okay yeah (laughs) that's how I look at sex sometimes Yes, for sure. And I think, you know, having that analogy is really beautiful. And I would say, you know, being even more specific is so helpful because we all get watered differently. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, it's like, I need that alone time. I actually need Mm. to be away and be quiet and like have Mm. a connection to myself. That's how I get watered. And if I'm living with my partner, you know, and they're always around, like I'm not getting watered in that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and that might not be obvious to certain people, like how you specifically get watered. Sometimes it's like, you know, those love language things, words of affirmation, you know, gifts, those water people. But, you know, sometimes it's just, it's, it's really good to give those like concrete examples of like, oh, when Mm. you did this the other day, I like that. Yes. That was a turn on. That was a turn on. <laughs> and they're like, really taking out the trash? You're like, right, right. Yes. Yes. So manly. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that though, with the love languages, like for me, I know that I started off at one point with the love languages. And then what I noticed was I, I evolved as I've had children and life has happened. So now it's just like, how do you communicate that? Because they were on the path of the one love language. And now it's just like, well, I'm not really like that anymore. Like you have to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I see how and why you say it's important to communicate the things that work well for you, because if it's not working and they're doing something that you don't like, then Mm -hmm. the only person who's losing out in that is you. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so true yeah yeah yeah. that's so true a lot of people are afraid of saying what they want they're afraid of saying oh I changed my mind or you know (laughs) it's different now I don't know why it's just different you know Mm -hmm. and and that's that sometimes is like you know I don't know if you watch couples therapy or any show like that but you know that can be that one thing where the person turns the other and goes I didn't know that, <laughs> you know, right, like, right. I did not know that I have been mm-hmm. operating this whole time, <laughs> you know, thinking X and you're telling mm-hmm. me why now, like 10 yeah. years in right. and it's just, but it's so hard sometimes, especially when it comes to sex to say what you need to say and communicate it effectively or ineffectively, but then clean it up, you know, after mm-hmm. I just say, get it out, just get yeah. it out, yeah. <laughs> put it out mm-hmm. in the open and then, you know. Yeah. You can figure it out from there. <laughs> yeah. And if you have a good, you know, foundation for communication in your partnership already, then, you know, you can handle a little messy conversation every once in a while. 
That's true. Yeah. That's true. Salty. So when you when you talked about like some of the societal pressures that women have had on them for a long time and how it kind of builds up this wall of conservatism for a lot of women, what are some things that we can do to open up our minds more sexually? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, that word conservatism. I mean, I think of it a little bit more as like sex negativity, you mm. know, um, where I across cultures across race, I've just encountered so many people who have internalized some sex negative messages, you know, mm. if I'm a woman, and I want sex all the time, and my partner doesn't, there's something wrong with me, or mm-hmm. if I don't do things a certain way, then I'm not going to be a good sexual partner for anybody. You know, I think that starting from this place of like giving yourself permission to be curious about what you like is, Mm -hmm. is actually really helpful. I try to get my, my clients in the mind frame of being a student because Mm. we all try to be experts at our lives and you know how that works out. Sometimes it's just like, you know, we try, (laughs) we try, but there's just stuff that we don't know. And the only way that we can kind of pull back from all the judgments that we have of ourselves is by thinking of ourselves as students of our own lives. Like we are just trying to learn about ourselves, what works for us, what doesn't work. And, you know, for those who have a hard time, even like talking about sex or, you know, thinking about it, letting ourselves think about it. I think it's really helpful to find one person in your life who you trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just saying to them like, oh, I have a really hard time talking about sex. They might go, me too. And then you can go, maybe we should start practicing. You know, and that could be a girlfriend. I have clients who are like, I don't even talk to my best, best girlfriend about sex at all. And to me, Mm. I think it's really important that we practice with people who are safe, practice, you know, putting ourselves out there and communicating things about ourselves to, to trusted peers or, you know, even a sister or, you know, a cousin or somebody that you really feel is gonna like, not go like, yeah, you're not supposed to talk about sex. So shut up. (laughs) You know, giving yourself that space is really helpful. And that's what I do with my clients, right? It's just like, I'm just holding space for them to explore these things. And another thing too, is to not be overly shy about trying out different modes of erotica. So a lot of my clients love to Mm. read romance novels, Mm. Um, pornography might not be their bag and that's fine. There are types of pornography that are not as, I would say like aggressive (laughs) (laughs) as some of the things that we, we normally see on like the free Mm -hmm. sites, they do kind of come at a premium. So, you know, if there's something, the one thing that I really encourage you is like finding depictions of people enjoying sex who do look like you. So Mm. um, that, that in pornography, I think is really helpful and can help to break down some of the shame walls that people have around like, oh, I don't have this kind of body or I don't look like this. People of all kinds of shapes, sizes, colors, creeds are having (laughs) sex and you can find it on the internet. So I think that it can be really helpful. And a final thing that I recommend, as I was mentioning erotica before, is there is one company that I love that's created audio erotica. Mm. So it has 
podcast host, you might be interested in this um, (laughs) because audio is this powerful medium Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are on the go. And so there are these, um, you know, short stories, they're acted out by actors, but I think that might be a teaser. Uh, But Dipsy is based here in the Bay Area and Mm -hmm. yeah, they curate, you know, audio erotica stories. And I think it's, it's just another way that women are kind of disrupting this whole pornography industry and coming up Mm -hmm. with things that are actually like interesting yeah and and approachable for women nice that's interesting that you say like books and audio because I'm wondering like and and you also said that people should see themselves I'm wondering if when you're reading and when you're listening you're able to kind of make this character look like who you want it to look like or maybe the main character can look like you in your mind you so you're (laughs) creating this story in your mind and that can be helpful for people as well I have to share a short a short story that a friend of mine told me this is honest truth a friend she a friend (laughs) honestly it's a friend but I'm gonna share this just based on what you said Courtney she was she was married to a particular mm-hmm. person. She said that she had a list of men that she used to imagine her oh, husband was. <laughs> that she had, and she would just pick one. Oh, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> I'm sorry, but she did. She said she had a list, and she would just pick one of them every night on whenever they had sex, and imagine wow. that her husband was, was her husband ever person. in the rotation on the list. <laughs> Maybe early on in that season of their beginning of their relationship or marriage, but no, at the end, no. But she is that okay? Partners is that healthy though? That she's not one wanting to imagine herself with him. Like that means that something's not right. Well, well they're she- not. They're divorced now, so there we go. Okay. <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> but there, here you go, Jenny. <laughs> Something to me, if like you're at that point where you're seeing other people and you're imagining other people, then, you know, it might be some sort of conversation you need to have. She should have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. It's hard. You know, there's, there's definitely, I like to think of sexuality as like this kind of universe, you know, we have a very vast space to explore and fantasy is part of that. And like masturbation is part of that, you know, just having daydreams and stuff, you know, that's Mm -hmm. totally fine. Like oftentimes we can't even control that, but yeah, it's interesting to think about the intersection of like, well, if you're reliant upon fantasy every single time, Mm -hmm. you know, then how present are you Mm. for the sexual experience that you're having with this person. So I'm, I'm a person who believes like, you know, the, the, the way you maximize any sexual experience is to try to invoke as many senses as possible. So if you're mm. kind of <laughs> out there, somewhere else, you know, right. working really hard to stay yeah. <laughs> over here rather than right here, right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It definitely would be a sign to have a conversation and say, mm-hmm. this, this hasn't been working for me for a while. Mm. <laughs> Maisha, I swear, like we could sit here and have <laughs> we, conversations forever <laughs> and ever and ever and ever. As we can, as we get ready to wind down, mm-hmm. I think the one question that kind of rings through all of our heads is, what is the biggest misconception of being a sex therapist or slash dating coach? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I am a sex coach. That's actually one of the big ones. Um, So I'm not a licensed therapist. A Mm -hmm. sex therapist is going to have 
a um, licensure in some mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, They might be a marriage and family therapist or Mm -hmm. a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're great. You know, they have all of that training, which can help, you know, help you to manage and understand any type of, you know, emotional distress or mental, you know, issue that you're experiencing. Plus they can help you with a sexual issue issue. For me, you know, I really just wanted, honestly, when I was getting my master's, I was like, I really just want to get in rooms with people and talk about sex. So that's the (laughs) other, that brings me to the second misconception, which is that I'm somehow involved in sex with, you know, my clients. Um, That does not happen. If you were a fly on the wall, in a therapist's office and a fly on the wall in mine, it would look the same. You know, we're just talking, we're talking, but the way in which we're working through the issue is different. Uh, Coaching is very goal oriented. So along with that assessment that I have my clients do, we're also setting some goals. We're setting, you know, some ideas and intentions for what we're working towards. And my role as a coach is to provide homework assignments that my clients do on their own not with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, they, they come back and report like how that went, you know, what, what, what did they learn? What did they take away? Mm-hmm. What worked, what didn't work? And, you know, then we keep tweaking and I keep giving them more and more assignments again, in the interest of that goal, you know, therapy can often last years and years, you know, those relationships are really great to develop with someone who gets to know you over a long period of time. Whereas coaching tends to be more, not everybody operates this way, but I operate this way where um, I work with clients on either a three month or six month basis. So we're really targeted in our time. And I almost call it, you know, sex project management, you know, you have a project that you want to work on, you're going to hire me, I'm going to work with you on getting this project done. Um, and then by the end we check in and like, it's like, oh, did we do what we came here to do mm-hmm. or not? And sometimes that means, you know, we renew and kind of continue on working together. Sometimes my clients come up with new goals that they want to work on. So, wow. um, I've had clients who have worked with me years ago and then they're like in a new phase of their life, a new season. So they have another issue that they want to work through and they come back. Nice. And do they, can people come with their partner? Yes. I work with individuals and couples. Nice. Good. That was good to yeah. know. Yeah. Thank you, Maisha. Well, this was a great conversation. Sure. <laughs> and we really appreciate you coming and chatting with us. Thank you. So tell the people where they can find you. Yes. Um, I am on the internet. My website is myeshabattle.com and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Maisha Battle. Pretty straightforward. No uh, <laughs> no monikers, just my name. <laughs> um, and yeah, I do have podcasts out there. All that information is on my website, myeshabattle.com. One last question. I know that with some um, therapists, they cannot do across states. Is that the same Mm -hmm. thing with your field that if someone wanted to seek out your services, that they have to be in the state where you are? No, that's um, one of the beauty beauties of um, being a coach is that I'm not subject to state licensure. So um, yeah, I see clients literally all over the world. Uh, I've had clients in the UK, uh, Germany, Ghana, all over. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. She's spreading sex positivity throughout the world. Yes. <laughs> the world. Yes. Through the world. Internationally known. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> Everyone's supposed to be having sex. It's good sex. Yes.
before we end, we have Miss Courtney. What do you have for us today, girl? Okay, y'all. So I'm stealing this tip directly from Aisha for this week's Do Better. And I'm just going to say exactly what she said about stop judging yourself, okay? We want to live our lives freely, have fun. Then the first thing we've got to do is stop judging ourselves. I like when she said to treat yourself as a student. That means you can be curious, you can be open-minded, you can learn, you can make mistakes, and you can keep going. So this week's do better tip is to let go of some of that judgment because we're often our hardest critics. That's right. No, don't do that. Be open and let's have a great week, y'all. And have sex. Good sex. (laughs) Good consensual sex. Yes. With yourself or someone else. That's right. (laughs) Eat the pizza. (laughs) Pepperoni. All right, bye. Bye, Bye, everyone.